Second Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6, it says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the traditions which he hath received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to, be, ought to follow us. For we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wroth with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For ye hear that there are some which talk among your, who walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now the Lord of peace himself gave you peace, or give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with, with, with my own hand, which is the token of every epistle, so I write. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Here we find Paul is writing to a church, the church in Thessalonica. And it was a relatively new church or new congregation, and Paul is writing to them because they have some problems. Like many new congregations, there's always going to be problems that people have to deal with. And sometimes it's not always a new congregation. Sometimes some older congregations have problems that also have to be dealt with. And there were some, it seems, and you read the entire epistle, who believed that the return of Christ was imminent. And as a result, it seems that there were some who had stopped working and were behaving themselves as busybodies. A busybody, obviously, is someone that's getting into somebody else's business and doing things that they should not do. And when you see that take place in a congregation, it is uh, very, very discouraging. And so Paul had to write this second epistle to correct his or this uh, misunderstanding. And his instructions to this young congregation was to withdraw from those who were being disorderly. Those who were not living up to the standard that they were supposed to live, live by as Christians. And that is never an easy process. It is something that is very difficult when you're going to mark someone or to withdraw fellowship from someone in a congregation. Because that means that they are living in a way that's not acceptable to God and that they're being delivered to Satan when they've been withdrawn from in order to save their soul. And it's a serious step, but yet Paul is telling them on this occasion that that's exactly what needed to happen. But I don't want to deal with that so much. I do want to mention it, but I want to talk about one verse in particular that's kind of odd or encouraging in the midst of all of these things that Paul was dealing with with the church at Thessalonica. And that's in verse 13, where he says, But ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. I would imagine that with those words, there were some in the church there that were seeing what was taking place. 
the disorderly walkers in the in the congregation, those that were busybodies, those that had stopped doing the things that they were supposed to do because they thought the Lord was going to return immediately. And they had become discouraged. And perhaps they were threatening to give up. Or maybe you're not working, why should I work? And I think we see that attitude in the church today. Where some work and some don't, and then those that are working sometimes get discouraged. And Paul is encouraging them not to give up. That they are to don't grow weary in well doing. And that's what I want to look at today. Because I think that it's very easy for us to become discouraged. I had a doctor's appointment earlier this year, and it was a physical, and when I went in, they, you know, they asked you all these crazy questions. And one of the questions that they asked early on was, are you depressed? Well, I always try to be an honest person. But sometimes you probably shouldn't be that honest with the doctors because they take everything seriously. But I'm thinking, in our world, we've got cities that are burning, businesses that are being destroyed, a pandemic that has affected everyone. Our rights are being challenged. And when I came into this office, you treated me like I have the plague. You see plastic everywhere. You see barriers. You see masks. Am I depressed? What do you think? I said, yeah. Not only that, as a Christian... You look at the millions of people that die every day that are lost. I always find it amazing. You know, there's been times that we needed to stop and get something when we were having a Bible class. Chris needed something for a class, and we'd run into she'd run into Myers, and I'd sit there. You just see people coming in and out of Myers. And it's Sunday morning, none of them are going to church. None of them are going to worship God. You get discouraged. I don't know about you, but I get discouraged sometimes when you think of all of those things. And Paul wants to remind us here that don't, we shouldn't give up. You see, sometimes people get discouraged by the circumstances of life. Life is tough. <clears throat> and I think that <clears throat> we have seen over the course of this year how life can change. Even in a society that we live in that is supposed to be free and all the rights that we have, we see that those things can be limited or taken away very easily. And so it's easy to give up. And then you hear people that are upset and they're gossiping and saying things that they shouldn't say. Yeah, that's challenging. But what do you do? You keep on keeping on. You do what you're supposed to do. The temptation is to give up and to quit. Quit doing what we know we need to do. And at times we need to be reminded of Paul's words of encouragement here to those in Thessalonica. Be not weary in well-doing. You keep doing what you're supposed to do no matter what anyone else is doing. People that are out there that are dragging us down, don't allow it to happen. Those that are saying things that they don't need to be saying, don't allow it to drag you down. You keep on doing what you're supposed to do. I wanted to think about some of the reasons why we ought to not grow weary in well-doing. 
And, and so in this lesson, I want to point out some of those things, some of the reasons why we should keep on keeping on. For one, when we do what we're supposed to do, there's a reward. And there's a natural reward. That when you're doing what is right, it's not. I'm not talking about this reward. I'm not talking about at the end here, our eternal life. I'm talking about here in this life. When you know that you're doing what's right, when you're doing God's will, there is something that is very satisfying to you. If you are striving to live that Christian life, it is very encouraging and it's uplifting. And that's a reward that you know you've done what is right. And when you've helped somebody... I know that there's times that I've studied with someone, they've obeyed the gospel, you know, they're gone, they're on their way home and, and perhaps home, and I come home and I'm still smiling because of what's, what's taking place. There's a reward in doing what's right. There's a reward in, in, in sharing your time with someone else. There's a reward in sharing your, your stuff with someone else. And there's a reward in that because it feels good. And I'm not one that says that we ought to be all emotional, but I do believe that there is something inside of us that should rejoice when we, are, when we know that we're serving God, that there is a reward for that. And that's just that peace of mind, that peace that passeth all understanding. And if you don't have that, you're missing out on something that's really wonderful. And that only comes when we keep doing what we're supposed to do no matter what's happening around us. And sometimes that's tough. But there's something good about doing good in and of itself. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 18, For what is my reward then? <clears throat> Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. He preached the gospel. Why? Because it was the right thing to do. Paul didn't preach because he got money. Paul didn't preach because somebody was going to do something for him. And I don't believe there's any preacher in the world that should be doing that. We should be preaching the gospel because it's the right thing to do. Now, yeah, we, we, we get money for it. We have to live. But is that the reason why I preach? I preach because I want people to hear the truth and hear the message of God's Word. And Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 17, ye shall, If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. You see, there's a lot of Christians that are miserable today. They're miserable today because they know what the Bible says, they know what they're supposed to do, but yet they choose to do something else. They want to pick something else that they think is going to make them happy, make them feel good, bring joy to their life. And they find out that when they do those things, they don't have the peace. They don't have the joy. They don't have all the, the things that they thought that they would have. It's still missing. But when you do what God tells you to do, you can be happy inside and it can be relayed outside for others to see. Jesus said, in the parable of the wise and the foolish man in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, Therefore, whosoever heareth these things of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, <clears throat> which built a house upon a rock, and the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. You see, there's something good about being prepared. When you live that Christian life, when you study and you prepare yourself, when the hard times come, you can, you can make it through it. I had someone tell me not too long ago, I was, I was at a funeral and they said, I don't know how anyone could do it. 
if they're not a Christian. I don't know how they can live with that person that's deceased if they're not a Christian. And I've done enough funerals that I know that there's a tremendous difference in the person that had hope, the person that knew that they were faithful, and the person that was just as worldly as could be. Brother, we need to realize that that wise man who built upon a rock, when those winds blew and the rains came and the floods came, he could put a smile on his face because he was prepared. The foolish man, can you imagine the picture there? <clears throat> you read between the lines and you see that he built upon the sand and when the flood came, you can see the problems that existed. My wife and I were camping one time and we were camping on the, on the uh, coast and we were at the beach and we had our tents set up and a storm came in. Now, you can have your stakes in the ground and when everything's well, and that tent will stay up and it, there won't be a problem. But when you have a major storm come through and the rain starts beating on that tent and the wind starts blowing, you know what? I was in one corner of the end of the tent and she was at the other end of the tent. We were both holding all the poles because we didn't want it to fall down. And when we went outside, guess what? All the stakes were out of the ground. We weren't on solid ground. We were in a place where we were vulnerable. And we didn't have peace that night. We had to wait for the storm to go away. That's the way this foolish man was who built on the sand. He heard, but he didn't do. And so there's a great reward for us, a natural reward when we're doing what's right. But there's also an eternal reward. <clears throat> and that's our home in heaven. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 12, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Think about that. Living a Christian life, sometimes there's, a, there's persecution that takes place. People say things and do things to us because we're Christians. Just because we believe in Christ. Just because we believe that God is real. And because we'll stand up and stand up for what's right. People sometimes get offended by that and they take it out on us. But Jesus says rejoice in that. Be glad. Why? Because they persecuted the prophets also, which were before us. And so don't take it, take it as an insult. Take it as a compliment. And keep on doing what's right. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 24. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Our inheritance is in heaven. That's what we're looking forward to. Our affections are set on the things above, as it tells us in Colossians chapter 3. That's where our, our desire should be. That's where our longing should be. That's where we want to go. But we're going to stay here as long as the Lord wants us to stay here. And until we meet that appointment with death, we're to labor and we're to work and to do the things that our Lord wants us to do. And don't get weary doing it. It doesn't matter if no one around you is doing what's right. You keep on keeping on. Why? Because there's a reward in living that life and there's a reward eternally in the hereafter. Hebrews 11 and verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God is a, must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. In Revelation 22 and verse 12, <clears throat> and, behold, and behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according to his work shall be. Colossians chapter nine and six and verse nine. Let us not be weary in well doing, 
For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Keep on keeping on. Why? Because when the Lord comes, He's coming to reward us if we're found faithful. And so two things that happen, reward while we're here with the satisfaction of knowing that we're serving God and doing things His way and that He's pleased with our lives, that's a reward. But when He comes in the end, we'll have that eternal reward. What a great blessing that is. We also need to see the need. We ought to not grow weary in well-doing because there is a tremendous need in this world. Someone wrote, All that is necessary for forces of evil to win in the world is for enough good men to do nothing. Peter wrote, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You look at the church in the first century, and you see the persecutions that they went through. You see the hassles that they had to deal with from the world. And they kept on doing those things. And there were many times that people looked at what they were doing and they realized they weren't going to be able to stop them because there was something about their beliefs, something about their faith that was not going to allow them to stop. And they could beat them, they could stone them, they could, they could kill them. But that Christian faith would keep on keeping on. We don't have that kind of persecution, at least here, not now. But if we did, how many of us would remain faithful? How many of us would still see the need to take the Gospel out into the world? How many of us will still share that Word with people that are close to us, our friends and our family? How many of us would live it in our lives so that others could see that there's something different about us and then hopefully it would generate questions from them. You see, we must seek to overcome evil with good. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 21, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise a blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Our Lord wants us to return good for evil. And that's not just something that He said because it was a wise thing to say. Although it was a wise thing to say. But He also lived that. And you can see that in His life. Because when they were nailing Him to the cross, what did He say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the attitude that He had. He rendered good for evil. He died in when He could have called angels down to spare His life, yet He was willing to do, go about His Father's will and die on a cross so that those that even were crucifying Him could be saved. So Jesus sets the example for us and He expects us as Christians to not render evil for evil, but to render good for evil. And so let us not grow weary in well-doing because we know that there's a tremendous need out there that needs to be satisfied and only Christians are the ones that can do that. And when we are not to grow weary in well-doing, we are doing it for the third reason, 
to set that good example. In Acts chapter 9, verse 36, it tells us there that now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds which she did. That's the reputation that she had because she was involved and she was doing things that she needed to do and that helped other people. And you can see people that when she died that she was missed, that people were going to miss her. I ask you, when you pass from this life, what are you going to be missed for? Are you going to be missed because you're a great worker in the Lord's church? Or are you going to be missed because you're a big gossiper in the Lord's church? What's it going to be? What kind of example are you setting, not only for your children, but for people around you? When you get on that Facebook or any other social media, what kind of example are you leaving for other people in the life that you're living? Those words have power. Those words mean something. What kind of example are you setting? Think about the woman who anointed Jesus at the house of Simon the leper in Mark chapter 14. A simple task. It says that Jesus said about her, she hath done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Her example teaches us that it can live on. Your example can live on. In fact, Jesus says it's going to be preached or taught wherever this gospel is spoken. They're going to hear about what she did to anoint His body. What kind of reputation do you have? In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 25, it speaks in the regards of what we're doing. Because it says, So also good works are conscious, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. When you are a good example, when you're doing what you should do, people are going to notice. You can't hide it. Oh, you don't do it to be seen. You're not out there saying, hey, look at me, look what I'm doing for the cause of Christ. But it's going to be seen. Your example will be recognized by the people around you, whether it's good or bad. So don't grow weary in being a good example. Continue to be the example that God wants you to be. Because it was Jesus who said in Mark chapter 5 and verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's ultimately our goal. In the example that we live, not to get glory for ourselves. Because let's face it, none of us would be good if it wasn't for God. None of us could be holy if it wasn't for God. None of us could be righteous if it wasn't for God. And so who should get all the credit for our goodness? God. Because it's God and His Word that shows us how that we need to live our lives. Think about Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. 
One of the popular verses are two verses before that when it talks about being saved by faith and grace. But in verse 10, which many people don't ever get to, it says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God instructs us on what we are to do. And we walk in those works because that's what our Lord wants us to do. And so we're created for that reason. We're created to serve God. And I've said it before, but think about it. We are the only part of God's creation that does not do what God created it to do. Trees do what they're supposed to do. The sun does what it's supposed to do. All the planets and everything on this earth does what it's supposed to do. But man was created for good works, to serve God. But how many men do that? How many are serving God? Most, the majority, reject God. Psalms 86 and verse 12, I will praise Thee, O Lord my God, with all Thy heart, and I will glorify Thy name forevermore. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20, For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We've been bought with a price. We belong to Him. Doesn't it make sense that we do what He wants us to do? That we don't grow weary in well-doing? Does God get tired of doing good? He's been sending the sun and the rain. Harvest time, He's done all of those things from the beginning of time all the way up to now. And if this world lasts 10,000 years, I would imagine He's going to do it for the next 10,000 years. Because that's what He says He's going to do. But if he grew weary of well-doing, what would happen to all of us? So brethren, let us not be weary in well-doing, but do good. And set a good example for people that are around us so that people can see that there's something different about us, that Christ lives in us. And as discouraging as this world may become, don't ever give up. Don't be weary in well-doing because you'll reap in due time. Because there is a great reward knowing that you do, you're do you doing what God wants you to do. We know there's a great need to do good and we know that the great example is needed in this world. It's easy to talk about what's wrong with the world, but what are we doing to be an example and to help this world to change? I still believe that the only answer to change in this world is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. What are you doing? Share that gospel with the people around you. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, we would encourage you to become a child of God. It's not an easy life to live. Some may think that it is, but I think that it's difficult sometimes when we see the world that we have, but with God's help, it's possible to do so because He will help us if we're faithful to Him. But before we can have that privilege of calling Him our Father and having His help, we need to be obedient to His gospel. And Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He said that in Mark chapter 15, or 16, 15, and 16. That they were to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That gospel is the good news that Jesus died for our sins, that He was buried, and that He rose victorious over the grave. And when we go down in that water of baptism, we come up out of that water a new creature. And that's why Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But before we can be baptized, not only do we have to believe, but we also have to repent. Turn away from our sin. Turn and put our trust and faith in God. 
and then confess the name of Christ before men and be buried with our Lord in baptism to have our sins washed away by His blood. If you're not a Christian, you can do that tonight. And if you are, maybe you haven't been doing what you should because you've been discouraged. I want to encourage you tonight to keep on keeping on because that reward will be worth it at the end of life. And the peace that you have while you're here on this earth will be something that many in this world will never experience. You can have that peace. Tonight, if you need to respond to the invitation, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.